man, I'll tell you what, that dang old internet, man, you just go on there, point and click it, and they'll talk about www.wcomme. For some reason or another, you sound a little taller on radio. Well, for my money, he's got all the facial characteristics of a criminal. Now, here's your host, that gravy-sopping, crappie-flopping, stump-jumping, bobble-thumping, gun-toting, mater-growing son of a gun, the Backwoods Baptist himself, Pastor Harold Smith. Yes, thank you guys for joining in to the Backwoods Baptist podcast today. It's so good to have you listening. I don't know how long you'll last. I look at the... Um, what is that called? I look at the statistics. That's not the right word for it. The analytics. I look at the analytics and find out that I guess I grate on people's nerves. They just don't make it all the way to the end. I don't know if it's my voice, my personality, or my content, but I do know this. The gospel is offensive, and so are gospel preachers, and sometimes that's just the way things work. But I want to welcome you to the Backwoods Baptist Podcast. And as I try to do in every episode, I try to give examples of how you may know if you're a Backwoods Baptist or not. If you know what an Arkansas toothpick is and what part of the coon it comes from, you too might be a Backwoods Baptist. Well, today, some of you are laughing and some of you are going to have to go Google that Arkansas toothpick and what part of the raccoon it comes from today. We're going to do something. I, I, I really, I, I seem to do this a lot and it's called clearing up my ministry. I'm engaged in a unique ministry. It's not really unique historically, but it's unique in our day. And I, it's not, this is, this is common for me because I don't know anybody else that does what I do. And so there's a lot of confusion around what I do. I get emails a lot from people. Uh, they hear something, they'll send me a message. Uh, it's mainly people that, you know, I don't know personally, and I've met through this podcast. And just to be honest with you, the podcast is far exceeded anything that I expected would ever happen. Um, I figured this would just be a way for my friends to maybe pause the video and catch me with some weird facial expression and make a meme out of it. But actually we are somewhere in the neighborhood of 250 downloads per episode on average. That's across all platforms. And that's best I can tell. And I don't know how the analytics work. And all I know is this, there's more people listening than I thought. I get messages every week from people I do not know across the country who are thanking me for what I'm doing. So I'm encouraged and I want to keep doing it, but I kind of need to clear the air out about what it is that I do. I mean, what is my ministry? That's the, that's a million dollar question. I'm going to go ahead and put my phone on silent. Being a pastor, I know what it's like to be the guy who gets a phone call while you're talking. And I'd hate for me being the guy, get the phone call. So let me give you a little bit of my background and how I ended up in this ministry. It wasn't something that I said, you know, I felt like uh, God's calling me to quit my job and go do this. I was, I entered the ministry at the age of 30. I didn't start pastoring until I was 31. And I entered the ministry because I was convicted that small rural churches needed a pastor. 
and I kind of got mad at God and I, I saw some struggling small churches closing out in the country. And I said, God, those little churches have been there for years. I can't believe you won't send them a pastor. And I got this thought that bounced back through my head. I won't say God audibly spoke to me, but he sure ran the thought across my, my cranium. Why don't you go preach? And I thought, well, I can't do that. So we quit that. I, I quit that line of logic, but over time I could no longer shake the, the concern. Yes, I should go help these small struggling churches. And that's all I ever wanted to do was just go help small struggling churches. Well, I ended up pastoring a church for a year and uh, made some great changes in that first church. And then it became very apparent that my ministry there was over. I wanted to stay there until I died or they died. And, you know, I, I didn't feel like the church had gone as far as it needed to go to be healthy, but that was as far as the Lord wanted me to take it. So he sent me to another church and I left that church to pastor this church. I didn't just quit and hope for something better. I was there pastoring, doing my job until this church came and convinced me to come be their pastor. And through a lot of prayer and circumstances, I ended up in a church that was 13 years old. It had been planted 13 years prior, and I was coming to be their sixth pastor. So if you do the math on that, that's about two, two and a half years per preacher. And I was pastor number six in a 13-year-old church. And about two years in, they were, they were done with me, and they were ready to get pastor number seven. But the Lord graciously saw fit to keep me there. And he removed those that were controlling the church and I stayed. It was a complete radical transformation almost overnight with a, a, a surprise business meeting. I'm writing a book on this, by the way, and uh, I'm kind of finishing up my draft before I send it to the editor, but um, I'm doing that for the purpose of helping other preachers survive these kind of troubled churches. So fast forward, the Lord does this miraculous work. I, I last longer than two years. I actually spent 14 years as the pastor there. <clears throat> That's at Lee Creek Baptist Church in Van Buren. That's also the church that I'm still a member of. My kids are still members there. My wife still teaches Sunday school there, teaches the little kids. And I, uh, as I was pastoring there, what happened is the Lord gave me just a heart to help pastors, to help other preachers. And so I began working with preachers and just, we began a, a conference called preachers of grace, and it was geared towards ministering to preachers. And my thought was we're small church, but if we can invest in, you know, 15 or 20 preachers we've really invested in 15 or 20 churches and we're really helping out in the area that's covered by those churches. So as that conference grew, um, I met more and more preachers and I, I began this because I just didn't fit in anywhere else. I didn't fit in the Southern Baptist convention. I didn't fit in the uh, sword of the Lord crowd. I didn't fit in the reformed Baptist circles. I, I was just kind of an oddball. But by being an oddball, it gave me a broad group of preachers to be friends with. And so over time, I made a lot of preacher friends. We had a conference. I met a lot of preachers and preachers began to call me or email me 
uh, with problems, issues. I'm talking about men that were some of them old enough to be my dad or granddad wanted my opinion and I couldn't fathom why. But over time, I just realized, hey, God's given me through my secular career, through my late entry into the pastorate. You know, I'm in my 30s when I entered the, the, the pastorate. I had a background and I actually had survived a, a church coup. And so I was uniquely experienced to help preachers in these areas. And over time, I, I found myself spending, sometimes I would get phone calls from eight, nine, 10 preachers in one day. Some just wanting to talk, some wanting to cry, some wanting to brag, but I just kind of became a, a support for a lot of preachers. And it took up a lot of my time as pastor at Lee Creek, I, I felt like the church was a loving church. I, it, they were easy to pastor. There were no major problems. It was, it, it ran like a well-oiled machine, but I just felt like I wasn't giving them the time that they deserved. And I was feeling exhausted because I was spending all my time with on the phone in drama with other churches and other pastors, because over time, that's what happened. Pastors began uh, reach, uh, speak, you know, seeking me out for, for, uh, encouragement and questions, but then churches began to seek me out. They knew that I knew a lot of preachers. And so what they began doing was asking me, could you help us find a pastor? Or I, someone would tell me of a church that was closing and I would say, Hey, don't close. Let me, let me try to find a pastor that'll come and help you. And it got to the point where I couldn't, I couldn't take care of church. The, the Lee Creek was a growing church and this ministry was growing. And I was praying for fellow elders to come along. I was praying for an associate pastor. Maybe, you know, deacons would step up and do this work, but it just became apparent through Providence and, and my own convictions that my time as pastor of Lee Creek was over. And so I prayed about this. This wasn't an overnight decision. I talked to a lot of pastors. I asked a lot of people, do you, do you think there's someone that, that, that could spend his life helping pastors in trouble and helping churches in trouble? And as I began to talk to people, they said, yeah, and you're the only guy I know that's uniquely gifted to do that. And so it became clear through talking to some of my friends and some of the churches I've helped. I, I would just say, you know, th you think, because a lot of times when you talk about someone going and helping a troubled church, it's usually an older retired pastor, you know, and, and he's, he's kind of at the end of his career as a pastor and he's just looking to supplement his income and share his wisdom with the church. And while that's good at times, I felt like, there needed to be a younger preacher there, one that still had a little fight left in him. And maybe, you know, if the deacons were out of line, he wasn't afraid to go in there and deal with them. Not that older preachers are. It's just a lot of times older pastors look at a real problem church and say, you know, I just don't have that much left in the tank. So with much prayer and with a lot of counsel from other pastors, I informed our church that I felt led to go into this ministry full-time and I didn't have any support. Um, 
I needed to go around and raise some. And so I kind of allowed myself about four months. This is in September of 2021, spent a month with the church after I made the announcement as pastor, they elected me to serve on the search committee to find my current pastor, Joseph Allen. So I, I, I said, well, that at the first of the year, 2022, I'll quit raising support and I'll go do whatever the Lord would have me do. Um, and work wherever I, and I'll, I'll live on whatever money I raised during that time. Well, by October, I was interim pastor at another church whose pastor had left abruptly. And I was trying to shepherd this congregation, still feel commitments that I had already made to try to present my ministry. And so I never really got to go out and raise support like a traditional missionary would but I'm not a traditional missionary. And the church that I was serving in was able to pay me um, a salary, not what I was making, but uh, it was enough to bridge the gap from the support that I had. And that lasted for 11 months. And so at the end of the 11 months, we had, the church had got some things in order and uh, it was structured. It was healthy. They were ready to find a pastor. We had found a, a worthy, qualified candidate who fit the fit their congregation perfectly. And now I was without a job. And so I've been without an interim pastorate since um, September. Yeah, since September of 2022. And so here we are, almost April 2023. So during this, this transitional time, uh, the Lord used me to do a number of things. I still ministered to preachers a lot through this. I was able to go and give some pastors a vacation that needed one, I even able to help some with money. You know, um, the Lord had blessed me financially. I was able to bless some preachers financially that, that needed it worse than I did. Um, the Lord used me to preach in some revival meetings. I've never been what you would call a revival preacher, but I've preached more revivals this year than I probably have in the, my previous 16 years of ministry, 17 years of ministry. So I've done a lot of, of itinerant work since September till March. Um, I've helped pastors out of state with visits from encouragement. I've helped churches out of state, some pastorless for extended lengths of time. I've gone to the church. I've looked at their situation. I've talked to the people. I've kind of just assessed that there were some issues in the church, addressed them, gave them some practical insight of things they could do to kind of get, get on the right track. And then I began making phone calls, trying to find qualified men that would be willing to go to those troubled congregation. So even though I haven't been an interim pastor since September of 2022, the Lord's used me in other ways. And it's, that's probably the hardest part about my ministry. My desire is to be an interim pastor. My desire is to go to a church that either can't find a pastor or can't keep a pastor. Maybe they cycle through them, kind of like Lee Creek did. They didn't, they didn't keep anybody. Maybe we go there and figure out what's going on. Maybe it's one family that's running the church, and they're just getting preachers as they please. Maybe 
maybe they're just really down attendance wise and they, they can't attract any new members. They don't, they don't know how to reach people with the gospel. Um, th there's a number of problems there. Maybe they've just got a bad reputation of being a bunch of mean people. That's all too often the case. And so somebody needs to come in and just be honest and say, Hey, here's your problem. You guys are a bunch of jerks. I wouldn't want to go to church here either, but somebody has to have some experience, some discernment. Um, I would say a God given gift at doing this. And then that person goes and does this work. So that's the ministry I'm in. I'm in the ministry of itinerant and interim pastorates. And so sometimes I'm preaching revival. Sometimes I'm preaching in conferences, but I'm always looking for a church within driving distance of my home where I can, uh, provide pastoral support, not just be a preacher that comes in and preaches and draws a check and leaves, but actually invest my time in the people and in the congregation of that church. And that's, I think that's where my skills are best suited. I, I don't think I'll ever be a great evangelist that just goes around preaching revival meetings, but the Lord has definitely used me in that area. So the question that comes up now, when you start telling people that, no, I'm a full-time interim pastorate who also preaches revivals and conferences and consults churches. And I work with preachers in trouble. This is what they'll say. Well, that's not even biblical. Well, this is what I want to get to. It is biblical. It's just not common and it needs to be more common, but it's not something that you just say, Hey, you should sign up to do this. This kind of a ministry is a missionary ministry. You've got these long spells that you have nowhere to serve on a weekly basis. Sometimes you're itinerant. Sometimes you're preaching meetings. Sometimes you're not. When I'm not preaching meetings, I'm sitting in the congregation at Lee Creek, listening to my pastor preach and trying to be a faithful church member. Some of these churches that I work with are large enough to support me. Some of them are not. That's where the mission support comes in. But the question comes in is if this is a biblically defined role, what is it? And I would say it is the role of missionary evangelist. When you look at uh, Ephesians, I believe it's chapter four, verse 11, you know, he gives some apostles and prophets and uh, he goes on to say evangelists and pastor teachers. I believe evangelist is people who go around exhorting um, and sharing the gospel, but they're also people who go and work in churches to resolve issues in the church. And the clearest example that we see of this, and we see many people doing it, but the clearest example is the person of Apollos. Everybody knows Apollos from those famous passages in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where Paul is criticizing them for being preacher worshipers. And he, you know, they're saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of, but let's go beyond that Apollos was a good preacher. The Bible says he was an orator. He, he was a good preacher. I don't think that's necessarily a requirement to be in this role, but I would like to back up and look at Acts chapter 18. I've got a sermon on this with a whole lot of, uh, a whole lot of explanation here, but rather than preach to you, I'll just give you the outline. You can go study it out yourself and try to prove me wrong if you want. 
in Acts chapter 18, verses 24 through 28, Apollos arrives at Ephesus, and he's preaching a great message. But two people, well-known New Testament people, Priscilla and Aquila, pull him aside, this husband and wife team, pull him aside and show him, teach him the word of God more perfectly. In other words, they correct some of his doctrine. I think his problem was legalism. That's always been the problem with Jews coming to Christianity. They hear about Christ and they, they cling to their legalism, but he gets his, he gets his doctrine straightened out. And then he tells the church at, at Ephesus, he said, Hey, I want to go to Corinth. He actually says, I, I want to go to the region that Corinth is in. He says, I want to go to Achaia and see if I can help them with their problem. And we know that he went there because in first Corinthians chapter three, Paul says, you know, Apollos was there preaching and the people liked him. Evidently, Apollos had done a lot of good there. And then Apollos is going there to preach. And here's what, what else I find interesting in first Corinthians chapter six, Paul says, I'm trying to get Apollos and I'm paraphrasing. I'm not going to read. I don't have my Bible in front of me to read it to you. I'm paraphrasing. He says, I'm, I'm really trying to get Apollos to come back to Corinth. Now, if Apollos was a problem, why would Paul try to get him to come back? And the answer is Apollos is not a problem. Apollos is a big help. And he says, I'm trying to get Apollos to come back, but he says he can't come at this time. But if he has time, he'll come later. I remember for years reading that passage and going, who in the world, who in the world tells the apostle Paul? No, he's an apostle. He has the right to say, go, and you should go. He, he's an authoritative figure. I know people who think the elders of the church ought to be able to say, go, and you go. But I mean, this guy's, he's, he's over elders. He's an apostle. He's, he has authority in churches that, that elders don't have. He can go church to church to church with this. And the apostle says, Apollos, I'm begging with you, go back to Corinth. He says, I can't go right now. Well, why is that? That's always been the question on my mind. When I began this ministry, it became clear to me. If Apollos was in the ministry of going to troubled churches that were doctrinally deficient, maybe they were immoral, maybe they had suffered great persecution and they were very small, what kind of an interim pastor would he be if he showed up, engaged in a work, and was building up the church, and somebody said, hey, we need you in Corinth, and he just pops smoke and leaves and goes to the other side of the country? He had a pastoral responsibility to stay there and shepherd that flock until he could be relieved of duty. That's not a guy with five sermons and three suits traveling around preaching meetings from Sunday to Wednesday night. This form of evangelist, this form of missionary was someone that would go and stay long-term. When we think of missionaries, many times we just think of someone going and doing a new work. But in reality, Timothy did the same thing. Timothy was left at Ephesus to, to, to do this work. Titus did the same thing. Titus was left behind in Crete to appoint elders in every city and, and to instruct those, those fledgling churches. Going back to an existing church, Paul calling, uh, calling Apollos back to Corinth to, to come and help set things in order, that's just as much mission work is planting new churches. Paul even says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, I planted and Apollos watered, but God gives the increase. 
And that's what we need to realize when it comes to this kind of missions, we're short on missionaries that water and we're heavy on missionaries that plant. I talk to people all the time about going and pastoring small churches and they've been hurt by a small church. And so they'll come up and say, well, I prefer to, to build on my own work. Rather, I, I prefer to start my own work than rather than build on somebody else's brother. We're all building on somebody else's the apostles were the foundation. Jesus Christ was the cornerstone. We're standing on everybody else's shoulders. There's no shame in coming in behind another pastor. And what you're really saying is I don't want to go in and, and have to slug it out with a group of mean people and, and, and help the church get back on their feet. I would rather start over and start my own church and not have to deal with all those problems. Well, friend, let me go ahead and fast forward in your ministry to what's fixing to happen. You're going to plant a church and people that have the problems you're running from are going to join your church and you're going to have them anyways. You don't escape problems by planting a new church. You can glorify the Lord the same by watering an old church just as easy as you can plant a new one. And I'm going to give you my opinion here. If you're in the South, we got enough churches already. We don't, we don't need Fifth Baptist. I was listening to old Vance Havner preach the other day, and he said there was a, a church near uh, him at one time that was called Harmony Number no. 2. Well, if they were in harmony, why did they split and become the second Harmony Church? But it's that way here. Churches split all the time over disagreements. We don't need new churches. We need to go in and fix the churches that are near splitting. We need to go in and fix the churches that are near dying. And that's just as important of a ministry as planning them. We've done ourselves a disservice when we've made missions sharing the gospels to people, sharing the gospel with peoples who haven't heard it. The New Testament clearly outlines that happened. Acts clearly says that happens, but it also says these missionaries went back to those churches and they sent men back and forth to those churches. And those churches sent men from church to church. Apollos wasn't sent to Corinth by Paul. He was sent to Corinth by Ephesus. This is not an apostolic ministry. This is a missions ministry that is both evangelistic and church strengthening, church revitalization. And so that's what we should be doing. And in my mind, that's what I'm gifted to do. That's what I have a track record of doing. That's what God has used me to do from the beginning, to enter small struggling churches, to rightly diagnose what the problems are, and then to address them biblically in love, not as some kind of a, uh, like Barney Five, new sheriff in town, not walking around with my one bullet in saying here at the rock, we do it my way, but to come in in love with biblical leadership, with an open Bible, with common sense and shepherd the flock into a healthy biblical position and get the church on a solid footing. Every church has different deficiencies. Some need government, some need doctrine. Some need new bodies because there's only three or four left. Some need to learn evangelism and some need to learn outreach. But someone who does this work that I'm engaged in needs to be balanced in all of those, needs to have the discernment to see who the personalities in the church are, diagnose the problem, address the problem, 
and then rely on God to do what only God can through the power of the Holy Spirit, strengthen and build back up his church. And so that's what I'm engaged in. So I try to work within an hour of my house for interim work. I've gone as far as Northern Michigan. I've gone as far as Virginia, Texas. Um, I live in Western Arkansas, but I mean, I go halfway around the country <clears throat> to minister to some preachers or to minister to a church. But as far as the interim work, which is what I desire to do, what I think I'm best gifted to do to have a long-term effect, I try to minister within an hour's drive of my home and I live right on interstate 40. So I can cover the Western half of Arkansas, Northwest Arkansas, West central Arkansas, and even Eastern Oklahoma, because all the interstates come together near my home. So I think the Lord strategically put me here 24 years ago when I built my house, I wasn't even a preacher then, but he's put me in a position and I can look back on my life and I can see how he's prepared me for this all along. And so I, I say this so that you understand the ministry that I'm engaged in. I say this so that maybe you'll see the need for it in your area. Maybe you know somebody that's doing this. One of the things that we've been able to do is if the Lord gives us more money than we need to live on, we'll help small, past, small church pastors financially to stay where they're at and continue to minister. Maybe your church knows of a small uh, church pastor who's laboring, who's doing it the right way. Maybe your church can send him support each month and treat him as you would treat a policy. That's one of the things about Apollos that people seldom realize. In, in uh, Titus chapter 3, Paul gives instruction to Titus to bring Xenius the lawyer and Apollos on their way, and he tells them to have the church support them, and they need to learn how to support missionaries. So Apollos evidently was on the island of Crete with Titus, and Titus was expected to support him through the churches. I'm not asking for your support. I'm asking you to seek people in your area that are doing what I'm doing and support them. If you want to support me, that's fine. I, it's not like I'm refusing money and I'm, I'm certainly not storing it up. So I'd be rich and well-rested when the Lord returns. But the point I'm, I'm driving at is what I would like to see instead of more people going into church planting, I'd like to see more people going into church revitalization. And church revitalization is not the work of a seminary graduate who just came out of school and knows it all. It's really the work of a guy that's pastored a few churches, been in a few deacons meetings, got kicked in the teeth in a few business meetings, been punched in the gut a few times, and kind of has a, a feel for what it's like to go in and pastor problem churches and to take those as the churches you're going to be working with. It's not a church where you set yourself up to spend your week on the golf course and preach three times. It's a church that requires a, a diagnosis. And I think it's probably good looking back that God does give us a few months of itinerant work away from the church so that we can rest and recharge. And he does stir churches and stir Christians to support us in that work. 
So I hope that clears up the ministry that I'm in. It's also the reason I started this podcast. When I travel around, I feel like I'm doing the work of a backwoods Baptist. I feel like I'm going to small churches, small works in rural areas, places outside of the city, and I'm I'm working in smaller groups. It's not to say I wouldn't go into a church in the inner city. It just seems to be those are the churches that struggle the most and where I often end up led. And um, I just try to go wherever the Lord opens the doors and and um, try to be faithful in whatever position he's allowed me to serve in at that time. So I hope that explains things. If you want to receive my ministry newsletter, I send that out quarterly. The spring issue went out last week or the week before. Uh, you can email me at Pastor Harold, P-A-S-T-O-R-H-A-R-O-L-D, at A-T-T dot net. I'll be glad to forward my ministry newsletter to you. Um, that's the best way to contact me is by email. I also hang around Twitter a little bit, but uh, I'm not on there very often, and I don't check it every day. But anyways, thank you guys for listening. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. I hope that you understand what I'm doing. I hope that you see the biblical grounds for what I'm doing. Maybe the Lord will impress it upon you that you should engage in this work. And if that's the case, by all means, reach out to me. I'd be glad to encourage you and share with you what little bit I've learned about it. And uh, I'm praying that God would raise up more men to shepherd and revitalize churches in trouble. I'm praying that God would unite pastors together, that we could encourage and exhort one another especially in a day when there's less and less doctrinally sound, biblically qualified men standing in pulpits. Days like this, those of us that are engaged in the same work ought to be supporting one another and ought to be close to one another. And that's my prayer for you guys. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on the next Backwoods Baptist podcast.